gingivitis has been eroding the gum line of this great nation long enough. We can no longer be a nation indentured. Our very salivation is at stake. You let one ant stand up to us, then they all might stand up. And if they ever figure that out, there goes our way of life. Krusty Krab is unfair. Mr. Krabs is in there, standing at the concession, plotting his oppression. We can't just have a march and rally and then go have a beer. Life in this society, being at best another bore. There remains the civic-minded, thrill-seeking, responsible females, only to overthrow the government, eliminate the money system, institute complete automation, and destroy the male sex. You picked the wrong femboy to mess with. Go to the Bureau of Free Love. It's not like a free love Soviet. Bureau, yeah, the bureaucracy. Got, oh, you got to fill out this paperwork. Well, when do I get the free love? Not, you got to fill this up and you got to come back next Tuesday. You got to interview one. It's a bureaucracy. But it's free love in the end. Uh, Lucario is the spiritualist. Voter. Lucas are in Japan. Hey, there's politics outside the U.S., you know. There's left-wing movements all over the world, okay? And I just think that's important. Sonic would be an accelerationist, and Jigglypuff, intersectional feminist queen. Oh, sure, let's see. I'm an elk, a mason, a communist. I'm the president of the Gay and Lesbian Alliance for some reason. There's nothing new about poverty. What is new is that we now have the techniques and the resources to get rid of poverty. And the real question is whether we have the will. All right. Welcome, welcome to What's Left in Albany. Uh, it's been a while since I've listened to that intro montage. It does seem probably about poor taste putting poor MLK at the end of all of those cartoon and other type of pop culture references. Uh, I, I suppose the point is I try to maybe bookend it with two serious things, and it's all jokes in between. But anyway, this program covers the built environment, politics, and people of Albany, as well as the surrounding tri-city area and region, featuring discussions with leaders of communities or their organizations to discuss themselves, local issues, and or their projects in an effort to get the full picture of what's going on. I'm Dan Platt, your friendly neighborhood eco-socialist, promoting a build-out of a solidarity economy and delegative democracy, waging my one-man clandestine insurgency against confusion in our post-liberal neocon status quo, as we cannot hope to change our conditions until we understand them. Whatever the outrages or joys we have for this city, sorry, we're going to find whatever is left. Yep, that's a little, little. So this episode of the show, uh, I'm going to cover basically a downtown project here in the South End, um, announced or covered in the Times Union in January. It's about, so so you know, um, if you are a true Albanian, you'll know about the South Mall Towers. This is one of the few kind of actual tower in the park we call an architecture public housing projects which are you know reached their age limit and are now currently vacant now originally i thought the purpose um, what was happening with those towers is yes they would be demolished and but replaced with a similar sized public building project uh, or built public housing 
But it, it would be like five stories, and it would wrap around the block, and it would be a little better, you know, an actual urban form uh, instead of the tower that goes in the park, which is from an architect, Frenchman, Cabousier. Bit of a bit of a sex pest as well. Uh, anyway, the headline is right into the, right into the meat. HVCC expansion in Albany has echoes of Capital South Campus Center. So I'm going to tie this into general employment strategies of our liberal city leadership and then talk at length about the left-wing alternative in full because it deserves a full explanation because it's one of the policies I actually didn't cover in the Three Left show, my previous two-hour program, where I talked about policies and whatnot in a more abstract or who else are doing these things since, but not how they would affect Albany. So this is, once again, well, usually Steve Hughes. So I guess he's the urban you know, name I should get to know very well. Maybe eventually have him on even. Anyway, this was written at the end of January of this year. So not too long ago. It's when I, I saved it soon after. I'm just getting to it because it's kind of a longer article. At least it's long for the usual time to union coverage. So, um, but anyway, during the winter, there was an announcement that replacing the public housing would be a Albany County campus for the Hudson Valley Community College. So it would be an expansion of the general college overall, which is kind of an interesting kind of way things worked out if this happens, based on the fact that it's Hudson Valley is a combined county, you know, multi-county community college, because it was kind of a choice. Do each county have their own, like Schenectady's does, and we have an Albany County Community College, which was kind of one of those things. It's like, well, we got a lot of open or vacant or uh, land available downtown. We should use it for some big project, you know, uh, one former male candidate, now the common council president proposed an aquarium, and it was a very silly idea to most. Even at the time, I was like, well, I think having our own community college would be cool. We made the commitment to Hudson Valley and having that multi-county um, campus. So, so that was announced, which is surprising to me. It was the first I heard of it. And if that's, you know, as it's proposed, this is making people kind of, at least this art writer, but it's also a community concern, that it sounds similar to the South Campus Center and the general repetition of the only jobs policy that Democrats have, which is education, education, education. Education is what makes us equal in the marketplace. Even though we're in capitalism, it really depends on what your capital is. Some people consider their skills capital, or but obviously money is capital. But it could be assets. Um, it's what you're bringing to the market you know, job or otherwise, you know, you, there's a lot more opportunities if you actually have resources. And people think, well, if you have enough degrees, that's a resource. Eh, yeah, but not if millions of others have the same degree. And then there's an oversaturation, which kind of over-education, quote-unquote, you know, is as, as complained about. Or it's like, I, I think over-education is a problem, right? We have all these people with college degrees. They're not doing jobs that require college degrees. Well, as a leftist, I observed this, and I said, well, that seems like a market problem. That's a problem with the market, not a problem with education or getting one. Because 
in a general liberal sense, we should all have an education just because, because it makes our lives better. It improves quality of life throughout life. Depends on what kind of college degree you're going for, of course. That's why people, anyway, I'm not going into, well, I guess I should go into that. Um, the usual leftist talking points of um, having all types of tritary education. That includes trades, includes skill building, or could be arts. Should be whatever people want to do, not the program that they'll think they'll get a guaranteed job. Which is why, you know, I'm covering the job guarantee, and it seems to have a double meaning. Either it's a job guarantee that's, you know, government-provided jobs, or organized jobs, but particularly paid for. Or job guarantee is um, a program, like you go to ITT Tech, and they promise, pinky promise, (laughs) and you can... You know, with, with, with a contract guarantee. Or, oh, wait, no, in court, you don't have a contract. It knows, there actually wasn't a guarantee of a job once you graduate. So you pay for their degree, and they, you know, give you a job right away uh, with, a, with their partnerships. But that doesn't always work out. It's part scam. Uh, maybe it works out first minority, but it's otherwise part of the big market craft. So uh, now I'll actually read the article now. The Capitol South Campus Center was supposed to provide a cradle to career path in one of the city's poorest neighborhoods. The promised future was bright when the 17,500-square-foot center opened in 2014 with literacy classes, on-site daycare, career training, college courses in popular fields, community space, and plans for a simulated clean room to help residents break to the exploding nanotech field. So there was a lot of deals to create the nanotech college and all of the corporate synergy that's happening there. And then it's like, okay, we've got that kind of big capital investment. We'll try to get it to trickle down. You know, it will provide all these jobs. And then it was realized none of the people who are poor have nanotech related education. How do we, how does this benefit us poor people, us black people, or poor white people? Regardless, I'm talking classes here. More than race, but in the South End, they're one and the same. That's intersectionality. So, yes, the, are, these communities do not have, we don't have the prerequisite education to take advantage of this industrial growth. And so the best that are, you know, so rather than thinking about who doesn't have a good job, maybe we should ask them what they want to do and then try to get the industry in, whether ourselves or let's say it's a corporate partner. But no, it's like it's you start with what the the, the whole nanotech thing was all about. How you know this visionary guy in the late '80s or early or '90s was like, this is the future. This is where the market's going. It's the only thing that we'll be able to do well in America because all the other manufacturing is going. Thank you, free trade agreements. Never mind that, of course, other countries can do nanotech just as well now, especially once they're fully industrialized. Solving the problem of poverty is always kind of the last step in a very many-step process where then you have to provide resources so people can get nanotech experience or a degree or just a certificate, which, which, uh, which the you know, their space and money was dedicated in this community center to doing that, and it was an, it's an educational community center, is the long and short of it. But the five and a half million dollar center and the institutions meant to provide a pathway to success 
failed to live up to its loftiest expectations. A common complaint is that the campus, a modernist structure that stands in stark contrast to the worn brick towers it sits next to, although the towers are also modernist, so isn't accessible or usable by the community at large. How is this possible? Well, Daniel Hine provides an answer. The whole point of putting it there was for the community to be able to use it, said Daniel Hine of the nonprofit Block at a Time. The center struggles and a long history of Southland residents having projects foisted upon their neighborhood without their input blunted recent news that Hudson Valley Community College is seeking to expand into the South End where public housing high-rises currently sit. So housing that's currently used for an expansive campus. Last week, the city, city Common Council voted 9-3 to three for Albany to apply for a 3 million state Restore New York grant to pay for half the demolition costs of the Albany Housing Authority's Lincoln Square homes. The narrative supporting the grant laid out a proposal to replace the decrepit buildings with a $66 million, 66,000 square foot community, uh, community college campus. So we're getting the money to demolish it. So it's like, okay, the HUD says you can only pay to demolish the you know, public housing buildings that, of course, we, the Fed, will not. <laughs> uh, we, we won't pay for you to replace that housing. Um, but we will help you demolish it, provided that, you know, they, we, they do this project, you know, with this established institution. Some of the language used at the January 19th council meeting mirrors that used by local leaders to help create the Capital South Campus Center. Capitalized Albany President Sarah Ridangiani told the council the grant application and potential for the HVCC campus was fundamentally about providing opportunities for the residents of the South End. Common, available rhetoric. Opportunity does not mean I'm actually giving you something. It's about creating opportunities for job training, for learning English, for learning certificates that directly increase wages, she said. It's about providing a direct pipeline from the neighborhood through no-cost and low-cost education to a well-paying career. Now, of course, it's all assumed, like magic, that there will be careers out there, jobs for everyone, as if that was something the market ever provided or ever could provide. Employment is not a bug. It's required. This is a Marxist point of view, that if there wasn't unemployment, the threat, or rather the greatest threat that keeps people working at their dead-end jobs, their high humiliation, working with people they hate, the threat of being unemployed. If that wasn't there, there would be more, quote-unquote, freedom on behalf of labor. To go from opportunity to opportunity. For many residents, it was the first time they had heard the idea that the now vacant 196-unit affordable housing complex would be torn down to make way for another educational campus. So that's kind of the point here. Like, South End already has an educational center. It's not being used to capacity or even partial capacity. It was another failed promise. You don't have to keep your promises to people. You only have to keep your promises to finance. But the project has been percolating in the background for several years and is partially seen as a way to fulfill the unreached goals of the Capital South campus. 
Now, that is true, but when you actually, you need to look at the data. Has any amount of educational facilities improved the wealth, right? Education is not enough. There has to be actual capital investment. Now, yes, education is, is, is that, I mean that as opposed to the social investment that education is, even though, of course, that's money too. But anyway, support EBS. But, but yeah, it was the first time I heard of this as well. So they already, the council is voting to approve something that there has been no neighborhood input on. I don't remember ever being, I mean, I wasn't personally asked, of course, but I mean, I went to meetings about like previous plans that were just about replacing the housing. What happened to them? I thought it was always just, it was a, it was an idea bouncing around to have a community campus, a community college campus in downtown. And I'm not against it, but I was thinking more of the parking crater, you know, the land that's practically useless or vacant or empty. I mean, yes, or parking lots. Parking can be done elsewhere. But there's also plenty of vacant land to have a scattershot campus or something interesting. It doesn't have to replace housing, or rather a space where housing is and should be. Okay, but as Times Union writer Paul Grumman put it in 2014, the Capital South Campus Center had a field of dreams quality to for residents. If you build it, will they come? That question may have been directed at the wrong people. Part of the reason the center, which is owned by the Albany Housing Authority and originally managed by Trinity Alliance, failed to live up to its goals was because the institutions that agreed to provide some of the key steps to the cradle-to-career pipeline dropped out. The center started off strong after it opened in 2014. In the last six months of 2015, about 426 people completed some kind of career advancement course and developed a, uh, their own education or employment plan. Of those, 161 completed a certificate, found a job, or enrolled in college. So let's let's think about the numbers here. So about about 420, or no, 430, and then you have 160, about 160, completing and actually like getting results from from doing those courses, uh, which is not even half. So in addition. 81 people earned high school equivalency diplomas, 60 completed English as a second language courses, and more than 50 children participated in, um, in general language development programs. I'm assuming that's like, you know, kindergarten. Uh, but soon after the center opened, much of the outside educational support evaporated. Part of the problem was multiple schools working with limited time and space, and those promises of support were largely verbal rather than contractual, said Trinity Alliance's CEO, Harris Oblander, who was instrumental in creating the center. The center was also built during the peak of Alan Carrorris's reign atop the state's nanotech field. That's the guy uh, who was kind of responsible for the nanotech college, at least in name. The SUNY Polytech Institute promised almost half a million dollar grant to help create that clean room simulation that I just, you know, I ranted about before to help local residents acquire the training they need to enter the nanotech field. You know, maybe at least as a, almost like a pre, pre-calc to the calc that calculus that is the nanotech college. But when the, this man, Kelly Yoris's downfall came in September, 2016 on charges of felony bid rigging, 
that clean room training never came to be. Now, not everyone left. Meals on Wheels continues to use the commercial kitchen that was meant to host culinary programs, uh, but that was be via Schenectady County Community College. Overlander credited Empire State College in particular for sticking with its promises. They showed up and they were good, he said. They were helpful. Another problem was that many of the residents who came to the center weren't ready for college courses. In 2016, Overlander told the Times Union that many of the people the center served had barely reached a fifth grade education level. The center's high school equivalency of English as second language courses were the ones that were being used. They took off. Despite those hurdles, Overlander said earlier this week he was proud of what the center has managed to achieve. I still believe in it, he said. I still believe we did the right thing. So more, more that it's being underutilized. Not that it was a total waste, but it's being underutilized. But it's really good to get those people who are older, they did not finish school, they dropped out early, or something like you know fifth grade reading level. I believe it. I mean, the average reading level of the standard American is eighth grade. You know, keep that in mind. So obviously, it's really good. You know, you need those GED programs, so at least people can at least get to pace acquire. So by 2018, the relationship between Trinity Alliance and the Housing Authority had become strained, as most relationships with the Housing Authority do. The authority found a new managing partner for the center, um, by way uh, in 2019, by the Capital Region BOCES. So this is the, the state-funded county-level adult education programs. That was around the time the center stopped hosting community meetings. The change in part, is this because they didn't allow them? The change in part was because BOCES' agreement with the Housing Authority and the grant guideline that funded the center said the center's use had to be restricted to education and workforce training activities. This is from state rules about BOCES facilities. You know, BOCES facilities are governed by the uh, pretty pretty large office um, here at state uh, in state ed from which I was interviewing numerous of them recent, until recently fast bureaucracy uh, which which is interesting so the housing authority made the agreement with BOCES knowing that if BOCES took it or maybe they didn't know and they're ignorant of this but now now I know I know better at least that if you're going to be run by BOCES, there's a lot of regulation and oversight, or rather, and that means restrictions. You know, it's you, you can't control what's going on unless you know exactly what is going to go on. But of course, this means you had a community center where there could be community building, you know, community meetings in the form of meetings, which can lead to political meetings, which can lead to political activity. I'm not going. I'm not making a stretch. I'm just saying community empowerment means being, you know, the ability to be political. And that's also, to me, what an education is for. A liberal education is about being a citizen, not just a consumer or a worker. Obviously, no one ever wants to define themselves as just. Well, some do, but just a worker. Kind of a sad life. Same goes for being just a consumer. You know, oh, I just want to buy things. I like nice things. There's really nothing more to your life. No hobbies. Well, buying things is a hobby. That's where you get those, you know, consumerism. It's fake. It's hollow. Okay. So BOCES are meeting definite needs that exist in the community, said Mayor Kathy Sheehan, but I think not in the way that was initially envisioned. The campus has been far from dormant, 
Bosi is one of the original partners since the site opened. Runs and hosts numerous programs, including the English language classes, workforce fairs, child care, and Albany Can Code, a nonprofit that trains people for software career opportunities. Oh, Can Code. I Can Code. Yeah, I got to treat them coding. Got to treat them coding. That's standard neoliberal. You know, just, just, just train people to code. That's what they were saying the answer to the recession was. My problem in the workforce, I didn't learn how to code. I spent too much time thinking about what I believe and why and understanding the world, my place in it. In 2022, the building's literacy zone served more than 400 students and provided 33,000 hours of instruction. This is according to Alyssa Terryberry. That's probably not how it's pronounced, but spelled that way. Abosi's assistant program manager. Expansion is so now about the expansion. The news that the Lincoln Square homes might take make way for an well, they don't make way; they are removed uh, for an educational campus has echoes stretching back more than 20 years. The towers built as part of the urban renewal movement of the 60s that swept the city were sustainably rehabbed in the 80s. They need to be rehabbed in 20 years. And now, you know, so by the turn of this century, the federal government told the housing authority it would not pay to rehab them again, which began a fruitless effort to find the money to take them down. God, it's, it's so messed up. Basically, uh, right, over my lifetime, the support has dried up, I wonder how, by who, for pu- any public housing. Oh, it's just for the poor. It's just for the maggots, the rats, the poor. Well, they get a real job. They're just laying around. Any kind of ugly Scrooge, Act 1 Scrooge thing you can imagine. So so basically the Fed doesn't pay for public housing anymore, pretty much. I think any public housing has to be municipalist. So, but they said like, you know, the city or the Albany Housing Authority, fruitless effort to find money. So it's like wherever they can get it. So this grant... Says like, okay, you can remove them, but you can't replace them. We can't rehab the towers, so we have to tear them down. So included in the 20, 2007 plan for the South End was an idea that the towers would be replaced with an educational center or mixed-use housing, which is what I thought was the plan. But first, the high-rises needed to come down. Aside from the prevalent thinking that public housing should evolve beyond the high-rise model as the optimal housing solution, for those in need of assistance, you know, people need housing. The buildings themselves have extensive problems. Complexes, boilers, and other mechanics are hosted in a single building, which means that when the when a problem arises, it affects the whole complex. Parts of its elevators, which have been constantly malfunctioning and skipping floors, are no longer man- manufactured. On multiple occasions, city, police, and fire have been called to help move residents with mobility issues in and out of the buildings. The Housing Authority notified residents April 2020 it would begin the process of vacating the towers, place the residents who live there in the towers and other housing units that had rehabbed or built throughout the city. Earlier this month, the last resident left the towers and they were fenced off. So these are those developments that they've been or have built in the North End. Meanwhile, HVCC had been looking westward for an expansion from its Troy campus for several years. The idea of the single higher education partner would solve several of the issues that undercut the Capitol South Campus Center, including concrete streams of funding, staffing, and curriculum based on community needs. 
The discussion with the city and Capitalize Albany, its economic development arm, began in earnest last summer as college officials toured several sites in the city. But HVCC President Roger Ramsamney kept telling city officials he wanted it to be in the South End, and the city expressed interest in the Capital District Educational Opportunity Center uh, relocating from Troy to the to this neighborhood. So I think that's a series of buildings that's uh, at the crest of the hill, not the crest, the dip at the bottom of uh, Congress Street. Earlier this year, the city applied for a $10 million downtown rehab or revite grant initiative grant for the South Pearl Street area. Included in those public meetings and discussions was the idea, okay, so th- earlier this year, so this was January. This was written at the end of January, so I guess it's just some time in January. Sounds like a quick turnaround time from public discussion to, we're doing it. Well, you know, I guess you move quickly enough a few weeks. So, uh, included in those meetings that were discussions was was the idea of the expansion in the South End, and it was identified as a priority project for the grant. Additionally, when the city applied for a $10 million grant to help the Central Warehouse Project earlier this year, Capitalize Albany told the Common Council its backup plan was to apply for the same grant for this HVCC expansion. So this has kind of been in the works for a few months at least. You know, public engagement with this stuff. Capitalize Albany seems to be the decision maker here, not the Common Council. They come to Common Council with what they're what they're doing. You know, it's all it's just committees, but they're on elected committees. They're just there to appoint it, or their job is to do what's best for Albany. But it is top-down. That is my complaint. Sheehan said that while the South Pearl Street DRI map is awkwardly drawn to include Morton Avenue up to Lincoln Tower site, the city sees them as connected. The idea was, when we tear down these towers, if we can create a development there that includes bringing people into the district, then you're creating this opportunity to them to have the type of daytime foot traffic and people traffic to help see a successful commercial corridor. Are we talking about more in here? It's not that many vacant lots. So those conversations never reached the larger public until Capitalize Albany approached the Common Council earlier this month and asked it to quickly pass support for the restored New York grant. Got to meet those deadlines. The result was a number of South End residents appeared at the January 19th Common Council meeting questioning where the proposal had come from and why the neighborhood had not been involved in a discussion on what the su- was needed on the site. One of these people is uh, Hilly. The A Block, at a time founder, was among those at the meeting who questioned why the project's organizers hadn't taken more time to talk with South End residents. She compared the inclusion of the HVCC expansion in the South Pearl Street grant proposed to a congressional bill where multiple projects were slipped into larger pieces of legislation. You know, she's, she's comparing it to a writer, where you slip a piece of, you know, maybe something that's extra, but maybe unwanted, into an omnibus bill, so it has to pass. But it's basically like you have all these other projects that are, you know, publicly supported, and then you slip in something that, it's like, well, you didn't ask us. You're kind of leaving us out. That says, we don't really care. We know what's best for you, she said in a recent interview. Danielle thinks similarly to me, or I think similarly to her. Officials from the city and college have all stressed that the proposal for all expansion site is still in the earliest stages, and there will be multiple community conversations 
on the site's future. Yes, but if the money gets secured via this, it's locked in. And then later you'll get to say, well, oh, it's out of our hands. We have the money and we got to spend it. And while you know it, there's all of these strings, restrictions. In an interview this week, the president, uh, Ramasamy, uh, said there was no guarantee the housing authority would turn the site over to the college or the community without support for the expansion. Beyond regulatory and administrative approvals, HVCC would need to raise more than $60 million to fund the site. In the end, what the community wants would drive the college's decision-making. It's going to be there to serve what the community needs, he said. It's going to be a community center serving every aspect of their needs. But you see, the point of this article is making, and I'll make, is that we already have, it is small for a community center, but we have one already. Why we want one that fills a whole block? Obviously, it's more than just, you know, something for the South End. It's for the whole city, basically. Uh, or, or Albany County, even. Um, but again, that's taking away land for housing and these commercial interests. Like, you know, if it's all just community centers, like, where, where's the where are the eateries supposed to be? I guess we're all supposed to walk downtown. Councilman Derek Johnson, who represents the South End and has opposed the idea of the expansion at Lincoln Square, said the promises by the city and HVCC for community outreach were like those South End residents have heard before. Johnson added he wanted to see data and studies to support the idea that an HVCC expansion would find the student population it needed for this new campus, which is kind of always what held it back, like, you know, 2014, 2010. I'm like, well... There's already the student population going to Hudson Valley, the main Troy, you know, Troy campus. So it could be beneficial, but does it have to be that location, he asked. I sort of agree. Sort of a let downtown be downtown. So for the rest of the show, probably, yeah, it will take me that long. I'm going to talk about what I consider to be an actual jobs program. Not just assuming, well, we give people education, which goes without saying, by the way. Um, but it's not about getting a job. That's about being a citizen. When it comes to getting a job, the public sector or the government or governance, their role could be much greater. So let's talk. the. Generally, it's called the federal job guarantee, but I have heard via lecture that there are counties or municipalities that can also do this. So a federal job guarantee, a policy to achieve permanent full employment, I'm reading from the Center on Budget and Policy Priorities, written by three people, Mark Paul, William Darty Jr., and Derek Hamilton, published March 9th, 2018. This is just from a quick web search, uh, articles on the federal job guarantee, found two pretty good explanations. So if you're just tuning in, this is What's Left in Albany, leftist source of news and opinion, for Albany anyway, uh, by local eco-socialist, me, Dan Platt. And I'm right now talking about the, a job guarantee program. Now, usually considered on the federal level, but I think it can be done a municipality. I'd like to read more on that. But first, let's get the general idea out there. And perhaps these will go into... Well, rather, let's we start with the assumption that what has worked now, there really isn't anything that works as far as providing job guarantee and opportunities. You know, you owe you tax. 
Uh, you cut taxes on the rich. Do you, you know, just think of everything that our federal government does or doesn't do. And think, well, there's got to be something else we can that actually works or could be done. And that actually addresses the, the actual problem of unemployment itself and the cause of it. So anyway, full unemployment has been part of the policy discourse in the United States since the early 20th century. One of the most notable proponents, or at least the last maybe, of full, true employment, defined as an economy in which any person who seeks a job can secure one. This was laid out in FDR, President FDR's vision of economic security for all is his touchstone for full employment advocates. When you think of the New Deal as being a cut-down, sort of diluted, but otherwise, you know, piecemeal, whites-only version of the socialist platform. For Roosevelt, directly hiring programs such as the Works Progress Administration and the Civilian Conservation Corps were great successes during the Great Depression, where they provided much needed, a bit temporary, relief during the economic catastrophe. Their size and transient nature were insufficient to achieve the long-term impact on employment that Roosevelt and the full employment supporters that came before and after him have sought. Today, economists and policymakers, including the governors of the Federal Reserve System, tend to associate full employment with a 4 to 6% unemployment rate, using the standard measure of unemployment. This is sort of a horrible thing to do, right? You don't call a 94% complete thing complete. I have all my teeth, and by all my teeth, I mean I'm missing two of them. The two front one. This measure of unemployment counts workers who do not have a job, have actively looked for work in the previous four weeks, and are currently available. It does not count the millions who have stopped actively seeking employment or those inadequately employed in temporary, seasonal, or other precarious employment situations. The 4 to 6% unemployment rate referred to above is based on a conception defined by economists as the non-accelerating inflation rate unemployment, or NERU, as an acronym. It is noteworthy that this target has changed throughout time. Moreover, an economy with these unemployment rates needlessly condemns millions of U.S. workers to unemployment or and or underemployment, often resulting in severe economic hardship for those left behind by decision-makers' policy choices. We're not just talking about public ones, we're talking about private ones. Because as much as like you think, oh, it's government versus Wall Street, we're talking, when it comes to power, it, you're talking about both. Or who makes the choices in society. At today, relatively low unemployment rate of 4% is January of 2018. About 6.5 million workers remain unemployed. An additional 5 million are working part-time, though they would prefer to work for full. Job seekers are substantially outnumbered job openings. Moreover, this aggregate picture masks the fact that unemployment does not affect all workers equally. Historical unemployment data highlight the persistent trend of discriminatory labor market practices that result in higher employment rates for some social groups. For instance, black workers routinely face an unemployment rate that is roughly twice that, even after controlling for educational attainment. There is a recent evidence that narrowing of racial unemployment gap occurs as the labor market tightens, 
but these gaps may be exasperated then during economic downturn. Fun little study was um, taking the same exact resume, but basically using a white-coded name versus a black-coded name, and they would put different uh, levels of criminality attached to it and found that basically being having black skin or dark skin uh, is equal to a felony charge. To explain, someone with a you know the same resume but a white name and a felony was just as likely to be hired or called back rather than someone who had a black coded name but no criminal record. It was like twenty five percent chance of being called back. So while achieving full employment is an important aspect of generating equitable growth in the economy, policymakers should also be concerned with developing policies that guard against low poverty level wages. Although unemployment is a major predictor of poverty in the United States, data indicate that simply having a job is insufficient condition for escaping poverty. Since poverty is more of a social pollutant than anything. It is, an, it is a result of economic uh, capitalist economic production. So a study by the Economic Policy Institute found that despite being employed, 28% of U.S. workers took home poverty-level wages, leading to grave con conditions for their families. The U.S. government has intervened in the labor market to support full employment and non-poverty wage policies. How so? Government programs and policies included the Federal Reserve's dual mandate, the Earned Income Tax Credit, minimum wage laws, uh, listing, you know, the way the federal government intervenes in the economy already to kind of do something about this, like, you know, having SNAP, minimum wage laws, living wage ordinances, where they exist, and, of course, Medicare and Medicaid, have gone some distance towards protecting the economic well-being of millions of Americans. But really, they're just filling a gap created by the existence of poverty wages. This is a problem with the market. Through the current anti-poverty and social insurance regime, slash poverty rates nearly in half in 2016, when compared to poverty rates in the absence of them, it largely bypassed those without employment. And the shift to a work-based safety net, which was started in 96 under the what it was called the Personal Responsibility and Work Opportunity Reconciliation Act. Wow, what a name. Further exasperated a safety net riddled with holes for those without work. Although the programs listed above may have been effective in reducing unemployment, poverty, hunger, and it's talking about general welfare state programs, the social democracy, we recommend a slate of bold legislation to achieve the mandate full unemployment, and end working poverty in the U.S. economy. This is what this think tank recommends. The permanent establishment of a national investment and employment, employment corps, the NEEC, will provide universal job coverage for all adult Americans. The permanent establishment of the NEEC would eliminate involuntary unemployment. So you can work if you want. And then the next... Um, step in a you know socialist economy is then uh the goal would be those who only want to work can work 
but rather uh, if you want to work, you get to work is the first goal. So the elimination of poverty wages is then the second through a pay structure. That would be through the NEEC. The federal job guarantee would provide a job at a minimum annual wage of $24,600. This is if you're working full time. And this, this number is the poverty line for a family of four. Now, the minimum hourly wage of 1183 So workers would have the opportunity to advance within the program, rising from the minimum wage in the program to an estimated mean salary of 32500 The wage would be indexed to the inflation rate to ensure that we don't even index our minimum wage to that now, to ensure that the purchasing power of enrollees is maintained and the wage will vary to allow for some degree of regional variation. The minimum wage rate in the program will also rise to meet the national minimum one. The other is to include, uh, in part three of this program, the inclusion of fringe benefits. To provide a true non-poverty wage and meet the fundamental rights of American citizens, the policy will include health insurance for full-time workers in the program. Health insurance program, so it also doubles almost as a single-payer, rather nationalized insurance program. But you have to be in the job program to get the so so it's still kind of like you have to work to get healthcare, right? Which isn't true freedom, but it's it's getting there at least. You know that that's the you know the whole um, you know no one should work a full time job and uh, live on poverty wages or be working two jobs and get poverty wage and still be below the poverty line. Like well, what about one job? So these benefits, in conjunction with non-poverty wages, will set a reasonable floor in the labor market, which, through competitive forces, still believes in that somehow, as if capitalists like there being competitive forces. No, it naturally dismantles competitive forces, uh, which is why there's always the propaganda and the political pushback by capital um, against nationalized health insurance or nationalized health care. Anything that raises the economic floor is bad for the threat that if you are not working for the wages we offer, for the list of benefits we will not give you, or you will have nothing. So this is, though, a bold policy to achieve permanent full employment. The persistence of involuntary employment in the U.S. economy is the status quo, but it need not be. Recent research has highlighted the policy mechanisms behind Rising inequality in the U.S. Likewise, unemployment sustainably affects inequality and is itself affected by the policy. Okay, getting a little too academic there with that, Jarian. Eliminating involuntary unemployment, a true floor in the labor market, the restoration of local and state tax bases, because then there'll be a built-in inflow of in, you know, actual income. Mac, and, you know, people earn more, they spend more. So, and it stabilizes the macro economy. And it also allows for the provision of socially useful goods and services. Uh, during the Great Depression, you know, the, the actual, the work that people actually want to get done. You know, we want to fix our parks. We want to build schools. We want to maintain our community gardens. These are all, these all could be the federal jobs. And that's why the federal jobs program, although it kind of just proposes a federal you know, work program, you know, make jobs uh, and who's making the jobs or who's, you know, picking what the jobs will be. 
you know, the federal program suggests that it will be federal bureaucrats. Well, we don't want that. We want it to be uh, we leftists, we uh, Greens, it's part of the Green platform, that we have community centers like at the community center, and then there's the committee there deciding what are the jobs we want to have. And then those are the job listings put in the unemployment uh, center. Or it could be actually housed in the county office building, the, the office of general, uh, public service, yeah, you know the one, social services. And then it goes into the program logistics. So there's the whole paper here. It will be linked in the show notes. Here's another article on the same subject, the economics of a job guarantee, wage and employment effects. But I just want to start with the words of Ed Dolan, also written in 2019. Why, one might ask, is the idea of a federal job guarantee being revived now when unemployment is at a 50-year low? This two-part series frames an answer in terms of three gaps. And that, J. G advocates C or job guarantee advocates C as persisting even in today's tight labor market, a hidden unemployment gap, a gap between the number of people now working and the number who work if jobs were available at a living wage. Second gap is the pay gap. The difference between what people are now paid and the maximum that their employers would be willing to pay if necessary. And a public service gap a large unmet need for labor-intensive public services that would generate benefits equal to or greater than the cost of providing them. So he gives a long commentary, which I want to get into as the time ticks by. Otherwise, I'll just say a word that I'm a booster for a job guarantee rather than a guaranteed income which reached uh, low, you know, recent national prominence as a policy, the basic income. Now, why? What's, what's the advantage? Well, a job provided by the public largesse is one something that the market is not going to be able to take away. Again, it's in, indexed to inflation, so they can raise prices all they want. Workers will be able to buy whatever it is, and that kind of stabilizes. There's no point in raising your prices. Uh, meanwhile, if you get a basic income for a few months, like we did with the stimulus, uh, COVID stimulus, 70% inflation rate, all into uh, uh, corporate profits. Um, all of that, a lot of that stimulus money went right into the hands of corporations by, you know, via mass consumer spending that occurred. But that was temporary, so it's, of course, then a temporary fix, a temporary boost to the economy and temporary economic security. Think of the wacky and amazing and human things people were able to do during the pandemic. They either went crazy because they purposely actually locked themselves in the room, or they actually went out and actually lived life to the fullest, uh, as long as they stayed six feet away from others. Well, anyway, uh, I will ensure that I actually uh, finish on time for once. So here's my outro. Uh, so with that, I've wrapped up the show. This is What's Left in Albany. Please contact me to leave feedback, suggest topics, or join me on the show. Use my socials that are on Facebook, kind of on Twitter, but maybe I have to leave that account. Oh, I'm going to. But really, uh, I want people to message me, so I use it more on Mastodon. Uh, you go to the Covidica though I think you can just search. You just search what's left in Albany slash three lefts show. You can also find me on Instagram 
at my name, Dan J. Platt. As well, I really want you to go to www.3lefts.news, which contains the show notes and archive of all of my episodes uh, for both this program and The Three Left Show, which is my leftist theory show where I discuss the strategies, practice of a left for itself or an independent left. Oh, yeah, and the other thing I can add now um, is is also mentioned you can donate slash a sub to me via LibrePay. I think if that's what it's called. It's been a while since I've checked it. But I do also have an account on Patreon. It is the Three Left Show, or maybe I have changed it to What's Left in Albany. Try searching for both. Um, and you can sub there as low as a dollar. doesn't really matter to me. Any amount is a boost to my confidence and my bank account, uh, which goes into eventually some type of community house or project, or I invest it into the projects I'm involved with, like this community radio station. But otherwise, I want to wish you all well and encourage all listening to devote some time every week to a collective or community project as we all discover what is actually left in Albany.
dumbest I'm gonna learn to admit when I'm depressed For days on end I'm gonna learn to change my oil and make soap and make things out of rope And stay in touch with all my friends I'm gonna learn how to make amends But until then, I'll love anarchy as more than just a trend And until then, I'll read 1984 and I'll hate the end Until then I'll scream print shirts and I won't ever say the pledge and Until then, I'm gonna stop searching for myself I'll create myself instead You can learn to admit that I'm a pacifist and a radical environmentalist You can learn to be proud of my scenes for more than a week Yeah, I'm gonna learn to be proud of the things I've done And everything I've ever made And not feel embarrassed when I just need a goddamn break But until then, I love anarchy as more than just a trend And until then, I'll read 1984 and I'll hate the end Until then I'll scream print shirts and I won't ever say the pledge And until then, I'm gonna stop searching for myself I'll create myself instead